Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. We are not the saddest Toronto sports podcast any longer. That only lasted a couple weeks. Uh, The high-flying Toronto Maple Leafs and the maybe sneaky, very good Toronto Blue Jays uh, carrying the day as the Toronto Raptors kind of bowed out in the last third of the season and then missed the playoffs for the first time in my career uh, covering the team. But that position uh, at the bottom of the Toronto, of the major Toronto sports pyramid uh, seeded very early as the Toronto Maple Leafs blow a 3-1 series lead in a fashion that quite literally you could not make this up because they would tell you that it's silly and uh, it doesn't make sense and it's you're, you're overdoing the bit at this <laughs> point. Um, so joining me is James Myrtle. Uh, now, uh, Eric Green, what's up, man? Um, well, uh, my happiness is worrisomely dependent on an Alec Manoa start tonight. Uh, so, so that's what's up. It's, At least uh, there's no rain in the forecast. Yeah. Uh, is tonight the first game in Buffalo? I believe so. Let's go. Let's go. Sandlin Field, or however you say that name. Salem Field, I think. That makes more sense. I've been there. I should know this, but. Yeah, I went to see, uh, I've been there a few times as part of like, my first real road trip uh, with my good, uh, was like my best friend growing up. We went on a minor league baseball stadium road trip to Buffalo, Rochester, and Syracuse, which was as glamorous yeah. as, it, as it sounds. Uh, and then I went with my brother before on a Saturday before a Sunday home Bills preseason game. We went to uh, Buffalo to see Vladdy and Bo play. Um, nice. At, at Salem Field, it might have been Coca Cola Field then. Yes. Anyway, it's probably. a nice little stadium. Yeah, um, I uh, sure. and I mean from the the Sportsnet features on it, it looks like the changes are, are quite positive. It looks a little more major leaguey. Um, yeah, I, I just want the Yankees to complain again. I know as I'm much not, as yeah. look. I know that Rowdy Till has got hurt doing this, but I love the bullpens on the sideline. It's so minor league baseball. Um, Eric, I don't want to upset you too much, but Alec Manoa is not starting tonight. Oh, shoot. He starts tomorrow. Uh, Robbie Ray gets the uh, the home opener, I guess we'll call it. Yeah, I'm not as an invested now. Yeah. Uh, like a, a bad Robbie Ray start will upset me, yeah. but a good Robbie Ray start has limited upside for me. On the bright side, uh, you now have something in common with Alec Manoa in that you're not doing a home opening as soon as you thought. <laughs> oh no god is ass uh yeah uh the world is a dark dark place <laughs> and uh i'm no longer af- i think i'm mi- i'm no longer afraid to die uh just gonna mix a bunch of emo yes. album titles and assume it makes sense 
guys, it's rough out there. Uh, and before you say it, yes, I'm in a very privileged position. Yes, I'm aware of all of it. It doesn't make going through the per, the process of trying to procure a home in Toronto any more fun. But these are literally, in the words of Chris Traeger, first world problems. Literally. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to talk about some Toronto Raptors basketball. It's been two weeks since we last came to you. And our last one was kind of a, uh, you know, put a put a bow on the season, on a season that doesn't deserve a bow. Uh, it was right after the season-ending press conferences of Masai Ujiri and Kyle Lowry and Nick Nurse. There's been a couple of weeks for things to settle in now and, and kind of marinate. Uh, we've had some content up over at theathletic.com, which, by the way, theathletic.com slash we the six for a discounted subscription. If you are not already subscribed uh, to the written side of the site, you missed the $1 a month window, but believe it's only $3.99 a month. If you go to theathletic.com slash we the six, um, Eric had a lot of good end of season rap stuff, including a takeout on uh, Masai's future, uh, a takeout on Kyle Lowry's future player grades, which uh, are always fun to argue about and tell Eric he was too soft or, or too easy on guys, uh, and you had that nice back and forth with Sam Bassini to kind of kick off our draft coverage. Um, we're going to reasonableist. We're going to do a written reasonableist about the draft later this week. Uh, for those of you looking for more draft content, um, what did I have you? A, I, I have a piece also coming oh, on yes. Wednesday about uh, Scotland Barnes. Sort, yeah, it's about Scott Barnes, but Scotty Barnes, but it's more about sort of best player available versus fit and how. Basically, to spoil the article, there's just less of less reason than ever to not go best player available, given that there are more ways to integrate different types of lineups. And you have Raptors 905 also as uh, as a playing opportunity. Uh, But uh, how was the exercise with Sam, though? I enjoyed reading it. Usually that's that's mine uh, to do. But how was that leading you into uh, what I hope was a nice, relaxing week off? Uh, it was pretty good the week off, uh, you know, obvious complaints aside, which is literally everything, but, uh, it was good. Uh, uh, you know, Sam knows his stuff quite obviously. And, uh, it was interesting to hear how some names I've heard of might fit. And it, it definitely, you know, got me a bit more primed for, uh, I still, you know, way, way more to go to get up on the second round stuff. But in terms of the first round lay of the land, I, I definitely feel my my feet on the ground a little bit. Buddy, it's Deuce the... McBride season. Let's go. You want to talk second round picks? <laughs> uh, so that, yeah, I, I'm certainly, you know, you can start to see where certain names might line up if the Raptors stay around seven or eight or if they move up and, and how those fits might work immediately versus long term, uh, and yeah, Sam knows his stuff, and and uh, can't recommend uh, you know if you ever got a chance to chat with him about the draft. Uh, I think he lives in Australia now, so you'll have to make the time work. But uh, he lives in Australia, uh, yeah, pretty- yet I'm higher on Josh Giddy than him. Figure it out. <laughs> um, you, you, and uh, whoever was in. In Australia, Melbourne, I believe, scouting him for the Toronto Raptors, yeah. uh, confirmed. 
Um, so yeah, over at the written side of the site, you've had stuff like that. Um, I've done a few early draft and free agency things. Who's most likely to stay? Your free agency cap primer. Uh, should the Raptors trade a pick? What's the early draft board look like? A little breakdown on Canada basketball's camp invite list last week. Um, and a piece that I'm really happy with how it turned out. A, a big feature not related to the offseason on Raptors 905 assistant coach Eric Curry, uh, who has one of the coolest paths to being an NBA coach imaginable. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, please do. Today, though, we're going to just answer your questions. It's a it's a mailbag day. I did do a two-part mailbag and a live Q&A immediately after the season ended over on the, the written side of the site and the Q&A part of the app. However, it's been two weeks. Uh, some of you probably only listen to the pod and, and don't read the site or miss those articles. So we're going to dive into those questions uh, anyway. Some of them might be repeat from stuff that's come up, but we'll just not ask those ones or we'll just breeze through them quickly. Eric, you are uh, playing the role of the uh, mailman, Chris Humphreys, today and uh, <laughs> and firing the questions uh, our way. Yeah. Uh, so first one comes from Charlie Nichols. Which centers slash big forwards in this draft could you see starting at the five over Kem Birch? Uh, this, of course, assumes Kem Birch is back. Reminder, he's an unrestricted free agent. I feel like it would be a Raptors move to start the vet and have the rookie earn his keep on the bench. But I also think you wouldn't bench, say, Evan Mobley. Yeah, I mean, this is really one where... You know, this is more of a draft philosophical than it is Kem Birch versus Evan Mobley. Um, I will say that, like depending on what you're looking for from that position, like Mobley is probably the guy you could drop in, you know, and, and try to figure it out and, and make it work. You know, uh, Kai Jones is just not that guy yet. He's, he, yeah. I like him a lot, but he needs some more time. Um, Sangoon, the, the, the guy playing in Turkey. Um, I don't know that he's going to be able to defend, uh, necessarily out of the gate, at least in the way the Raptors would want from their starter. And then you're getting into a lot of like, Isaiah Jackson, Isaiah Todd, uh, you know, guys that are fringy picks in general, depending on your tastes and depending on uh, what your development plan is for them and stuff. And I, I certainly don't think you, you know, you worry about whether they're starting or coming off the bench. Mo so Mobley is the big one. And I think that that's one where, look, if he comes into camp and he looks great and he's fitting with Ananobi and Siakam, awesome. If he has to come off the bench and, you know, take kind of the, the Jakob Pertle role or, or take the kind of slower progression up the depth chart that we've seen them do with other bigs, that's fine. Um, but more my answer to this question is, with the exception of maybe Cade Cunningham, probably Cade Cunningham, you should really not be looking at, you know, day one impact to the high part of the rotation from a rookie it's there are obviously good rookies there are rookies who contribute we saw even malachi flynn who was the number 29 pick and didn't do didn't contribute a lot over the first couple months of the season uh was a big contributor in march and april for the raptors or april and march and april when did the season end may april and may um jeez yeah. uh you saw march that like, one they went one and 13 and nobody played well right <laughs> um, but you can see that, you know, guys can come along and guys can contribute, especially, you know, a, a more experienced guy like a Flynn. Um, you know, if you're coming from something like the the Turkish League where you've put up big numbers, maybe you can step into a role. But for the most part, you know, you're, you're kind of thinking, I think, 
hey, if this guy can run with one of the eight or nine rotation, eighth or ninth rotation spot, awesome. If not, maybe he needs some 905 time as he bounces back and forth, especially if that team's back in Mississauga and the main team's back in Toronto next year. Um, it's not it's not like this negative thing to, to need time with the 905. The Raptors have two extremely well-played pieces of their core who spent a fair amount of time in the 905. So, um, yeah, all that's to say don't necessarily evaluate guys by their day one impacts. Um, yeah, I, I would just add that Kai Jones in particular seems like he might be a 905 guy to me just because of how difficult that position can be to pick up defensively. Yeah. Uh, and the question was asked about centers and, and he'd really need to figure that out. Also, it wouldn't just in general, it would not shock me if like this one of the second rounders, if this is the way they go, ends up like sort of like clutching on to the back end of a rotation spot, maybe while the first rounder is more in high development mode, just because a lot of those guys who might be with that for might be available or might be in consideration with that first round pick are more 18 or 19 year olds. And a lot of the guys who they might look at as second rounders are more likely to be 22 or 23 year olds. So that, that I'm not predicting that like it's way too early. Like, uh, like even when we get to the date, it's going to be hard to predict what they're going to do in the second round for sure. But that is typically like just look at what's happened in this uh, in this most recent draft. Like you have guys uh, picked in the second round who contributed right away, and so that wouldn't be that unusual to see. But over the long haul, uh, hopefully, you know, unless you get like a, a diamond in the rough type thing, hopefully your first round pick is really performing at that level where if not in the first year, you're getting that surplus value in uh, years two and three and four. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe the the one interesting answer to this question, and again, this is, we're really reaching here, but, you know, maybe the Raptors lean into, hey, us having three, six, nine forwards was the the best approach for us defensively. And uh, Garuba is going to start and he's listed at the center, but really him, OG and Pascal are just switching everywhere three, four, five, and no one's ever going to score. And that includes the Raptors. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the approach. Uh, what else we got in the mailbag? Eric? Uh, Rev K, after the 30% salary qualify criteria, Matt, was it 30 or 28? It was 28. Uh, so, wow, Eric Corrine. Um, Knowing the CBA. Uh, with an NBA team selection, all NBA team selection, do you think it is likely that Pascal Siakam will be a neutral value contract? If he doesn't, uh, or if he isn't, are we stuck riding out his contract with little flexibility without being able to push into pseudo pseudo title contention? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, at this point, I think trying to figure out the dollar per when, you know, it's something that I'm going to do, obviously, every offseason. Uh, but, you know, I and I, I hate the term sunk cost for something like this because, like, obviously Siakam is still a very good and valuable player. Uh, so I don't mean he's a sunk cost as a player entirely. But if you're looking at, say, oh, I only think Siakam's going to be worth 23% of the cap moving forward, not 28%, that 5% band is a sunk cost. Like, you could think about it and, and you can discuss whether he's worth it, but there's nothing they can change about it. They can't. And this is part of why I remember people being very mad at me for being against the Siakam extension coming early. Um, not that I didn't think they would max him eventually, but 
guaranteeing that before RFA when like the worst case scenario was you max him later with more information. Um, you know, I, I do think that there was, which I think would have happened. By yeah. The way. And, and I just, I don't think there, I never got a good justification for beyond, you know, we want to show faith in our guy for why they needed an escalator beyond the max to push him into supermax territory. Um, it just seemed like an unnecessary concession on a deal that was always likely to get done. Um, and that's real money. You know, when we do their, when we do the, the cap sheet breakdowns, um, which we've been doing a lot of and we'll do a lot more of, you know, the difference between 25% and 28%, especially in a cap year, year like this for the Raptors is, you know, it, it's pretty big. It's, um, it's, uh, it's a difference of about three and a half million dollars this year. Um, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And so that's, you know, we've talked about how the Raptors theoretical max could get up to 24. Well, that could suddenly be 27. Um, yeah. And especially when you're, if you're going after uh, an R, a restricted free agent, like that could make a ton of difference. Um, you know, maybe not, but every, every dollar matters uh, ultimately, which is how they have to think. And uh, the one thing, I mean, I'll push back, not push back, but, We've seen that Pascal Siakam can be a really important player on a championship team. Now, at the time, he was on a rookie contract, so that and in a lesser role. So I I know it's not an apples to apples comparison, and you and you can't just say because Pascal Siakam was the second and a half or third best player on a championship team making the rookie scale, all of a sudden he can be the second or third best player on a championship team making 28% of the cap. It's not the same thing, but we know that that guy is in there. So I, I'm not sure it will be neutral uh, value, but I think he's good enough and it's close enough that in the biggest of pictures you don't really sweat it now yeah. in the now i'm not against the micro analysis that yeah. you uh, that he asked this question in and you're answering it in but i don't think that it's something the raptors really worry about at this point yeah and and, and like even from a fan perspective or a micro analysis perspective this is likely to be the last offseason where like it really matters like this is the raptors cap offseason this is their cap space offseason if they don't do Lowry. Um, so next year, you know, they're assuming making, you know, a couple assumptions about this offseason and, and I think reasonable ones next year, they'll be operating as an above cap team. And then, yeah, that that three and a half, four million uh, when you tack on the escalators uh, is meaningful for luxury tax and things like that. But at that point, it's just money, not flexibility. So, um yeah. You know, there's some scenarios where the apron or whatever, but we'll cross those bridges when we come to them. Uh, guided by Brody, who I assume is named after Guided by Voices, whose uh, Game of Pricks and I Am a Scientist are two of my favorite, you know, maybe 100 to 150 songs ever, uh, writes, What Raptors enjoy a little indie rock on the turntables from time to time? Somebody must know who the Pixies are. I'm not sure about that. Uh, well, first, I, it's just Pixies. Yeah, uh, good point. Um, or if you're using a T, it has to be lowercase as yes. it isn't here. Not to put guided on Brody on 
guided by Brody on blast here. Uh, I will say, as I might have said at some other point, that the the Walkmen, who are one of my favorite bands ever, played their last ever show before going on indefinite hiatus at Matt uh, Bonner's charity event. Nice. Uh, in I believe it was in New Orleans at the 2000 something All Star Game. Um, but as for current Raptors, you might know better than me, but I can't think of anyone off there. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't who have gets, a good who, guess. Who gets the most eclectic? Even um, probably Fred of the guys that I've talked to, but Fred's Fred's non-standard listening goes into a lot of like R and B and soul stuff. So yeah. I don't know that it would go. I'm gonna. This is a weird one because we know he's a hip hop guy and a new hip hop guy, uh, like Young Thug, Trippy Red, that kind of stuff. I feel like if there's anyone that would vibe with Pixies, it's OG. Uh, and maybe that's because of the similarities between OG and Orange Cassidy and Orange <laughs> Cassidy now coming out to Where Is My Mind as his entrance theme. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going with OG. I just, there's also an element of like, I know he likes a lot of the current rap that has like some pop punk influence. Um, so like, you know, he was a Juice World fan and stuff like that. So maybe there's enough there. Maybe we could get there. Uh, now I'm going to love just picture OG listening to Crackety Jones, um, which is uh, one of the more weird songs on uh, by, by Pixies. Just weird to say without the, but that's how it is. Uh, Suzanne Parr. I see this team as a go for it now, brackets two-year window team with Kyle Fred, Pascal OG, Chris Boucher, all at near, all at or near their peak. Assuming we keep Kyle, prayer hands emoji, and the others keep improving in real time, who do we need to add to make our team a contender? And do you think Kem is the long-term answer or the answer for center? Um Obviously, it becomes really difficult to add when if you're keeping Kyle. Like it's sort of Kyle versus yeah cap space. It's Kyle um, and trades and the mid level, or yeah. it's cap space. So, um, so I I think they're a level below true championship contender as an upside with this group coming back and like even them doing as as well as possible. In, in trades short of like a Kawhi level miracle, which, you know, it, it doesn't seem as of now to be on the table. Uh, and and certainly there's nobody with the mid-level that's move it like that could make them a very competitive team. You know, you're a, you're a fourth seed, uh, maybe is sort of a third seed, a, a really good regular season team as the peak. But as as I, I think there's lots of reasons why you could bring Kyle Lowry back, but he certainly puts a cap on the hypothetical ceiling for now. Yeah, and um, then if you're talking about who can they add, well, we're talking about either trades, which are really hard to predict, or the mid-level, which is not going to be a sexy name. Like, like even at the mid-level, uh, you know, my guy Rashawn Holmes is out. So, you know, that's, yeah. where you, that's where you run into trouble. That's why the Kyle thing is a very interesting... Uh, situation for them to be. Are, are we on the Harry Giles bandwagon again this year, or are we off? He was extremely bad this year, but he did rebound like hell. So, sure. If you could get him for the minimum, uh, could have him for or, the minimum last year. No, exactly. But but we're still we're still into him if we can get yeah. him for, if the Raptors can get him. For the yeah. 
Chris um, Dunn, too. Whatever. Just bring in all my guys. <laughs> uh, run Blake's offseason plan uh, back. Miles Moose, uh, frequent question asker. Hey, Miles. Uh, rank the avenues to a championship from most likely in brackets, likely, unlikely. Uh, now my head hurts. Uh, to least likely path to a championship for this team in the next four years. Uh, and he lists drafts, free agency, trades, internal development, not possible. Uh, my quick answer to all of that is you need all of them. Um, I, I think that's pretty clear. Like, unless you're a super duper team uh, and unless you're sort of the Lakers, who, and to a lesser extent, Miami, who know they will always be free agency players, uh, you need that internal development. You need to, you know, really hit on a draft, uh, on a draft pick or two, and you need to, you know, kill it with a with one trade or two to put you, yourself in that in that range. Like we saw that with the Raptors championship, uh, and. and if it's just if it's like draft focused, I think it's almost most likely to not come in the next four years. Right. You would say that window would open up, you know, five to seven years. Short not, of getting K. Yes. Um so I don't know I, I think internal development is probably the most important. Well, it's maybe, also the thing you can but, control yeah. the most. Um Yes. You can't so, control where you land yeah. in the draft lottery. You can't control. Oh, can't you, Blake? You can't really control, you know, what star is going to become available in trade and stuff like that. Um, so control what you can control. And a lot of that's internal development. Now, I would say in free agency, you know, you don't want to overpay, but they don't really have the money to overpay anyone anyway. And, you know, mid-level is yeah. not going to sink you. Um. So a few, a pair of Kyle Lowry questions here. First off, with Miami getting swept, where uh, and where the team is from a roster perspective and the top-heavy East, I don't see them as a threat to sign Kyle at all. What would be your ideal or realistic re-sign deal? And please be reasonable. No, I won't be reasonable. Yeah. I'll be unreasonable. Uh, I think you are maybe underestimating the Miami Heat. Uh, first and off, and Heat culture. Yes, never underestimate heat culture. Um, although uh, Jimmy ba Butler did not necessarily back up his words of being so locked in for the playoffs. Uh, I, I'm pretty, I'm a, I'm a Jimmy Butler fan, but, you know, they got rocked uh, by the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I still I still would list them as the most likely team to sign Kyle Lowry outside of the Raptors. Um yeah, I mean, look, their path to doing so is fairly straightforward. You walk away from Oladipo, Ariza, and Belitza, who are all, um, you know, UFAs. You can remove yeah. their cap holds. You then have basically just, you know, Jimmy and Bam under big deals. And then you have Goran Dragic and Andre Iguodala, who are both um, in weird spots where, like, Igudala has a trade kicker and Drogic is technically a one-year bird guy, so he had he can overrule a trade, but probably wouldn't if it means his 19.4 million non-guaranteed gets guaranteed. Which uh, seems nice. Yeah. So they have 
they have those guys that they can use to make a sign and trade work if they operate as an above cap or don't get all the way to cap space, or they could just cut ties with those guys, use the flexibility, um, you know, punt Kendrick Mo- Kendrick Nunn to the moon, and then use Duncan Robinson's cap hold to then re up him as an yeah. RFA. Like, like it's they'd be a little thin then. You're looking at Jimmy Kyle Bam, Hero, Precious, and Duncan Robinson. But, you know, the Heat really trust their ability to fill in at the margins inexpensively and, and attract vets. And, um, you know, you know Udonis Haslam's going to take up one of those roster spots. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's uh, it's all the way out. You know, you could you could convince me that with Jimmy Butler, it's actually more likely because he's now going to go into Pat Riley's office and demand Kyle. But... Um, anyway, I would just say that don't, don't rule stuff like that out because things move really quickly. Yeah. As for the Raptors keeping him, I, I don't know about you. We haven't really talked about this. If they're going to keep him and I'm again, not against it. Uh, I'd almost rather it be a two-year deal at this point than a one-year deal, just because the, they're going to lose a lot of their, if not all of their cap space as OG and Anobi slides into his extension and presumably Gary Trent slides slides into his extension or our restricted free agent deal uh, if the Raptors do keep him. Uh, so I'd rather, you know, if like two and 36 from a Raptors perspective, I yeah. think would be great. Uh, I threw out 240. Yeah. Um, in an earlier mailbag. I'm not sure that gets it done, but uh, I, that would be great from a Raptors yeah. perspective. I mean, I look, I think the absolute floor is probably 230. Like, like, yeah. hey, you're we're giving you 50% more than the mid-level, which is probably what you'd have to get elsewhere at your age to join a contender. And like, everyone knows that Kyle Lowry is still good and, and maybe Miami, you know, pays him more than that. It's, it's certainly a possibility. But also the list of guys who have got paid more than 20 million at this age is LeBron James. Oh, um, oh, maybe maybe Dirk too, but either way, huh. it's a small list. I thought Dirk Kobe, was on his Mavs friendly. When did Kobe friendly. sign his last extension? The two forty eight. Yeah, everybody. maybe it was Kobe. Anyway, the list is very small, and <laughs> it is absolute superstars. So, uh, yeah, uh, I would you know, I I would love a two thirty, but I'm comfortable at two forty, and I'd probably you know at that point you don't have you're not a cap space team anyway, so. Yeah. Um, you know, if it takes a little bit more and you can have it declining the next year or partial guarantee or something like that, go to town. Uh, Although the idea of Kyle Lowry having a non or partial guarantee has Kyle Lowry shenanigans written all over it. <laughs> He'll sign that on August 6th. And then the first day of training camp, we'll get the Kyle's not speaking to media. Is he waiting to ha- have his second year guaranteed? Like, um, so maybe let's avoid that. Yeah. On the other hand, you can heavily incentivize something. Uh, You can't that much, though. uh, Yeah, that's true. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Sandy Clipsham, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, 
what parts of Kyle Lowry's game do you think uh, are least likely for Van Vliet to be able to replicate through his career? Uh, the one that jumps out to me uh, before going to you is certainly the way he's able to leverage his body around the rim as a finisher. So that's the first one that jumps out to me. What else jumps out to you? Yeah, I mean, that's the big one, right? Is Kyle Lowry is such a good pick and roll orchestrator in part because despite his size, he's a threat to drive and he's that skills come and gone um, in terms of volume over the years as his roles shifted, but he's generally remained a pretty effective finisher when he does drive it. And, you know, a lot of the times Van Vliet is either going to fall or have to gnash and come back around and reset. And I think that there's just a little bit of dynamism that isn't there with Van Vliet. That's there with Lowry in terms of, you know, if you're a backpedaling center, Oh no, what do I do? Um, You know, there's an extra layer with Lowry that, you know, honestly, Van Vliet just has as good as he's gotten. He just hasn't shown a lot of it still. Um, and I know he doesn't like when articles are written about that necessarily, but uh, it's the the biggest weakness in his profile right now. I, I would have said last year, probably the pick and roll passing, but I think that that came along really yeah. well this year. Uh, nobody likes to be publicly criticized uh, as the uh, Chicago White Sox and can attest uh, with their manager, Tony La Russa. Um, does does the NBA have a Tony Larusa? Um, if Tony Larusa was good, I'd say Thibodeau maybe. But yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Thibodeau would definitely have Taj Gibson throw at someone. <laughs> uh, a pair more uh, while we're talking about Kyle Lowry. Uh, Kevin Weitzman asked a two part question. I'll ask the second part first. Uh, the most logical Lowry sign and trade destination slash trade packages. Uh, the Clippers basically can't do this for practical reasons, assuming Kawhi Leonard is back. And if he's not back, they probably wouldn't be in the market to trade for Kyle Lowry, um, which is they're like the obvious answer to me as a team that would look to acquire him. But they pretty much can't do it, right? Yeah, it would be, they'd be hard capped and I don't know that they could add Lowry and stay below the hard cap in any like reasonable or functional way. Um, my answer is still the 76ers on this one. Um, I think they could revisit that, but the I don't want to punt this question too far down the line, but the honest answer is the most of, out? most of the suitors for Kyle Lowry are still competing right now. Yeah, and who flames out? Yeah. That's a huge question when considering all things offseason, uh, except for the draft, basically. Um, and especially in the absence of like a true superstar on the free agent market, leaving aside Kawhi's status, like that's going to determine so much. Uh, and about where Lowry, who at this point... Like, he's a really good player and, yes, could swing a title on the fringes, but isn't, like, somebody you're putting into your top two core, probably. Um, I mean, you can debate Miami's theoretical pecking order. Uh, the teams that flame out or, or have a disappointing end to the season are more likely to go aggressively after him and make a compelling offer uh, because they have more motivation to do so. Uh, and before I get back to the first part of Kevin Weitzman's question, um, Kevin, by the way, let me know if you are the Kevin Weitzman who I played softball and hardball with in, uh, in Thornhill, Ontario. That would be interesting. Uh, Jeff Fitzpatrick asks, 
How much do you think Kyle Lowry's talents allowed the Raptors to run out a small backcourt continuously and not get burned for it? And do you think they will need a big to get bigger in the backcourt in a post-Lowry word world, especially if they are going to stay smallish at the five? Yeah, I mean, look, it's no secret that Lowry and Van Vliet are why that works. It's not you know, you can't run out you can't run out small without good defenders. Like everyone's got to be able to switch. Everyone's got to be able to defend up a position. Um, I would say that they probably have faith that Malachi Flynn can grow into that kind of guy. Um, but yeah, like if you're not, if you're six feet tall and you're not an elite defender, it's harder to keep you on the floor than like a six four guy. And um, you know, I would say that the Raptors being quote unquote small at point guard wasn't really their issue this year. It was that all their shooting guard options were inconsistent offensively or, you know, borderline abhorrent defensively. Like Norm did not have a good defensive season. Terrence Davis was unplayable. Matt Thomas never had their faith defensively. Um, You know, you can go down the list and that's, it's a big part of why they roll two point guards together so often and why, you know, Pascal and OG sometimes slide to the four five. It's because those guys are really good defensively and it's, you know, it's not really about philosophically they like to play small. It's that philosophically they like to have their best players on the court as much as possible. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm not sure whether like Kyle Lowry or Fred Van... I, I mean, let me rephrase that. Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet are both incredibly important to making that work. Uh, I would say that Kyle's particular ability to defend in the post. Not that Fred can't do that, but Kyle is like a next level player in terms of doing that, uh, is especially important in making that work. And it's just hard to find that, uh, that stoutness and that ass, can we say? Um, He's a great uh, post post defender. uh, And everybody who watches the Raptors knows this. Back to Kevin Weitzman, the first part of his question, if and this is obviously one of the most popular questions uh, just in general about the Raptors offseason. If Lowry leaves, who are your preferred free agent targets? Uh, if you want to ballpark contract them, uh, you can. But let's remember the Raptors can basically realistically create, as you said, 24 million, somewhere north of 20 million. And that's that's a lot like like they yeah. got to do a lot to get there. Yeah, so let, let, let's just assume it's... 20. Let's say 20. 20. Uh, so who who's at the top of your list? Nobody. Like, Ooh. They're all bad. Um, no, um, I really that's... like... I mean, it's no secret at this point. I like Rashawn Holmes. Um, yeah. You know, I think as a center fit that in that like above the mid-level but not nearing max territory guy, I, I think he's really interesting. Um, Sacramento kind of punted cap space in a weird way where he might actually be pluckable from there. Um, Here's the thing. First of all, we're going to go through all of this in a lot of detail in articles in the coming weeks. So I don't want to kill it all here. It's not a, it's not a very seamless um, podcast topic. Um, I will say that the free agent landscape is a lot of older max ish players and then a lot of role players that you might have to overpay to pluck. Like, I don't have interest in... He's been good lately. I don't have interest in paying Tim Hardaway Jr. $15 million. 
I don't have interest in paying Dennis Schroeder $20 million to, to pluck him away. Certainly not. Um, you know, like, like Kelly Oubre, sure, he'd fill a role, but like he's not, you know, it's not a ceiling changing guy. And, or, I mean, maybe it's a little bit. It, it certainly doesn't hurt. He's a good player. But like, you know, is that the move that you get excited about and it's your last swing with cap space? Probably not. So there's a lot of, and, and then there, there's the fact that like a lot of really interesting guys have player options that, um, you know, in a lot of years we'd be like, yeah, for sure he's gonna he's gonna opt out. But you have a Will Barton who hasn't really been healthy, a Spencer Dinwiddie who's coming back from injury, um, you know, some other like Serge Ibaka who we thought wouldn't be picking that player option up, and and now like, you know, could go either way because him and Montrez Harrell actually like. They're probably not getting more money than that on the market, but they're also unhappy with the roles. Uh, it would seem, uh, not that Abaka's made noise about that and stuff. Anyway, there's more like Jermichael Green's another guy like that. You can. It's a weird one. It's, uh, it's a weird class now I that a lot of the popular, like the the highest value yeah, players are out of it. And I can't tell if that's going to result in a lot of discount guys out there, guys who maybe even get squeezed on the mid level, or if it means there's going to be like a quick bonanza of a bunch of guys getting overpaid and then, and then it gets really quiet. I don't, I don't really know. So this is a terrible answer to your question, Yeah, but I will say that lots of stuff like this is coming in the, in the coming, you know, we got two months here. Yeah. Uh, I like Dinwiddie in general. Uh, His, you know, his health is obviously a huge question. I've mentioned Nerlens Noel, uh, not as like a break the bank guy, but as an exciting, as like a good answer at center, but I'm skeptical he'll leave, leave the Knicks. Uh, John Collins would be a dream, but he already turned down four and 90 from Atlanta. Uh, that's not to say he would do so again, uh, but he's a restricted free agent and it would just, I think, functionally be hard to uh, get him. Uh, extract him. Yeah, I mean, situation. maybe that's one where you get creative with some yeah. sort of RFA sign and trade, and yeah, that hard caps you. But like, maybe you send some salary out, and um, there are ways to make stuff like that happen. Uh, it, it's not happening, but like similarly in the RFA bin, give me Lonzo Ball. I yeah, don't know I why New thinking, Orleans wants yeah. to move away from him, but I, I love Lonzo Ball. So, uh, yeah, any ball will do. If you want to give me Leangelo for the nine hundred five, whatever. Yeah, can we get uh, Leangelo Ball and uh, Theonis Antetokounmpo? We'll just get all the the uh, Frank Stallones, if you are, not to uh, dismiss them too much. But uh, that'd be a, a fun angle. Uh, Canada basketball question here. Let's go. Uh, if all players were healthy, what is your ideal starting five for the Canadian men's basketball team? Uh, let's start with the obvious one, Shea Gilgis-Alexander at one of the two guard spots. Yep. And uh, I would say Jamal Murray at the other one. Yes. Uh, and so that's, this is where it becomes certainly more interesting. Uh, you could go small. You could stay smaller. Lou Dort could be your sort of verse three and D guy who's a bit smaller. You could go RJ if you want. You could go Dylan Brooks. Uh and or two of two of those three guys even uh i think on pure talent that's where you're probably going but it, it becomes a fit match now too so let's what do you think yeah i mean i'd go brooks as my as my third kind of as my third starter um 
you know, you'd hope. Look, there's there's a lot that Dylan Brooks uh, does, and I mean he does that, a lot. Yes. I, I mean that in a in a nice way, and uh, you need to be a little bit careful uh, about his freedom and his role kind of way. Um, but I also think Brooks is like. Like, I don't have a vote, but I would have given long consideration to him for one of the all-defense spots this year. And I think that when you're playing against some of these teams, like Spain and France and the United States, um, not that Shea's a bad defender. Jamal's, you know, not the best. He tries hard. But um, you want a guy you can turn to as your perimeter, you know, who's, who's guarding the best perimeter option on the other team. And I don't think that they have that kind of natural big three four kind of guy so brooks is that guy for me and you know i know that that puts rj on the bench which is maybe a little awkward but like rj's skill set might be best suited on a team that talented right now to run a second unit anyway where he can be kind of a combo guard with a bit more shooting freedom um you know him and Nikhil alexander walker kind of sharing the the backcourt duties or something like that um Wiggins is the big question for me, where yeah. do you start him at the four and you're a little smaller, but you're super switchy one through four and you have the most just pure talent on the court? Or do you go another way with, you know, one of your quote unquote smaller bigs, I guess, like, like Powell a, or Ken Birch or Yeah, or even Melvin Edgem, who's like... Yeah. Basically, Melvin Edgem is positionless in the not in the modern NBA sense, in the FIBA sense of look, man, you're a vet, and who whatever positions show up, you're playing the other one. You're gonna, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're a center, sometimes you're a winger, and sometimes you're a defenseman. It, it depends. Depends what guys show up for pickup today. Uh, I think I would lean towards starting Wiggins, especially because he's shown to be so adept. In that, uh, like once upon a time, I would have said, can he really? play next to all these ball dominant guys and now it's like well maybe actually that's his best utilization so uh i think i would start him as for the five like it becomes it's so linux like yeah like i i that's where i was leaning uh a healthy dwight powell makes you think but he's he's oh linux just got so so my thing with the linux is one you know all else equal the guy's been there over and over Um, but I think also when you look at the offense and, you know, no matter what starters you go really, uh, at the, the one through three or one through four, like Jamal's your guy who can really heat up, but there's not, you're a little light on playmaking. If you don't start RJ and you, you know, like, like Brooks can get his own bucket, but he's not a big creator for other guys. And Jamal... Jamal is getting there as a point guard, um, but I like the what Olenek's playmaking can add to a group like that, just in terms of making them a bit more dynamic and a bit more kind of getting the most uh, out of everyone. So I go Olenek. Uh, yeah, uh, I see no reason to to nitpick here. I think yeah. that is a fine and good group. I mean, uh, shit. God, maybe, maybe, you go Trist- maybe you go Tristan at the four. Because he's a little switchy, but like, I don't know. I don't think so. He's not as switchy as he once was. Yeah, but is that just the Celtics? Like, (laughs) is he just really upset at the leprechaun? Yeah, I think it's that damn leprechaun. It's Lucky's fault. Him and his shillelagh. Um, (laughs) All right, we got to wrap this up. I got a hard out in a few minutes. So uh, give me one or two more quick ones. Okay. Um, Well, that will take six hours. Uh, (laughs) um, 
let's go. What is your opinion of Chris Boucher not getting a, uh, this is from Dia Binesh, a fair vote uh, for most improved player. I believe he got seven total points in the most improved Yeah, player. he was tied for sixth, uh, I think. Uh, something like that. Uh, I wouldn't say that's unfair. Lots of players improve in the NBA. Yep. And he missed a bunch of games at the end of the season, which when you're going for kind of primacy effect, and, and like he would not be the first person to win most improved based only on his role expanding, but his per 36 numbers were like not as good as the last two years. And obviously that first year is a tiny sample and last year was really sheltered minutes, but like you could argue that he was the same guy just in more minutes and the three drop more, which is a real thing, but I would say he was also probably worse defensively. So um, I don't, I, I feel like that's the right spot for him. Like somewhere in that five to 10 range. Okay. Um, oh, sorry. More. Sorry. I just want to finish. Like some of the reason this happens sometimes with six man or most improved is that people only list three guys on their ballot. So it might look a certain way that Boucher finished sixth or seventh or whatever. That is not everyone saying he's the sixth most improved. That's just the way it works when you only have three guys on your ballot. Um, sometimes that's how it shakes out where, you know, maybe he would have been fourth on everyone's ballot, but uh, he wasn't third on it on enough people. So, yeah. Uh, you can only pick how many spots there are on the ballot. Two more non-Raptor-specific uh, questions, uh, more fun ones, or in the last one, in the case of the last one, not fun at all. Uh, first, uh, I- I've lost track of who asked this question. Assign some wrestling theme songs to the Toronto players on the Toronto Raptors. Uh, we won't do the whole list, but I, uh, for Kyle Lowry, I would like the game's theme song. Um, the what theme song? Like the Triple H's theme song. Oh. Um, just I, I want it's time to play the game. Coming, and, and that coming. evil laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, just because he will obviously exploit every uh, every rule within the game to win the game and be the game. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with, are we sticking with like we're applying existing wrestling theme songs to these guys? Uh, you can, uh, no, do whatever you want. Okay. Like, well, is sticking with that because that's how I initially thought of it. Not like I'm not like going to give someone Alexis on fire as entrance music or something like that. Uh, I'm going to give Fred Van Vliet Crash Holly's old music. And instead of coming to the ring with the scale to prove that he's not a cruiserweight, uh, Van Vliet comes out with a six foot measuring tape to prove that he's six one and can qualify for, uh, you know, inclusion in that division. I thought you're going to give him uh, Mick Foley's old uh Car music. crash? Yeah, with the car crash. Uh, there was probably better ones, like Rodney Hollis Jefferson, that would be good for uh, yep. that song. Um, anybody who's fallen down a lot. <laughs> Last one, and we'll end it on a topical note, from Terry Hussey. What can the Leafs do uh, to stop being the 2018 Raptors? Uh, is Kawhi Leonard available in hockey form? Kawhi or McDavid. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, Marner for Eichel? Uh, uh, we'll see. Could Look, be talked I, about. Uh, I will say I, I understand that because they're both Toronto sports teams and it all feels somewhat similar, like running into LeBron and getting eliminated three years in a row and that being a mental block, a stopping point and losing at the same point a bunch of times. Like, I get that it feels similar, but it's worth remembering that the Raptors had a conference finals run mixed in there and overperformed a couple years and then started running into the same blockage after winning playoff series. Um, so they were 
you know, I, I, I think I will also say the Leafs have more high end talent. Like yeah, the like Leafs the Leafs are, were the were the the favorite in yeah. all of these series except for maybe the Boston one. Boston. Yeah, um, I think ones, the the plural. the Raptors. The Raptors analogy would be more apt if they were running into the Bruins over and over again. Um, I actually think stylistically, it was the Canadians who were uh, fairly similar to the um, to the 2018 Raptors here because uh, they are not really that good. Um, they don't, you know, score at a high percentage. They carry Price's hot playoff series aside. They did not stop other teams at a high percentage, but they just did so well managing possession. And that's a little weird to translate basketball to basketball or sorry, basketball to hockey. But those Raptors teams in the DeMar and Casey era were very good at not turning the ball over and very good at forcing turnovers from other teams and pretty good at rebounding. So it's like, hey, maybe we're not going to talent you, but we're going to play smart and we're going to just get way more shots than you. Um, as we said last night, sort of uh, in a conversation uh, between ourselves, sometimes the reasonable answer when things are going like this for the Leafs, is everything has to be on the table. Uh, I mean, everything, that's, that's the similarity is like when you meet in a dissatisfying end so many times in a row, you have to go beyond, well, the bounces will go our way or we will learn and grow as a group. And yeah. I think they've certainly reached a point where they're going to have to consider a lot of things that they didn't consider previously. And it's not it's not obvious because, yeah. you know, the early years of this front office, it was a lot of we've got to get some of the more, I guess, toxic old school thinking out of here where, you know, toughness and truculence reign. And we've got to put a premium on talent. And then there was the coaching change. And then, um, you know, there was a, I thought, you know, last year was kind of their like, okay, well, let's reflect on what our strategy has been to this point And let's address some of these things that, you know, maybe there's a blind spot analytically or just in our roster building approach. So we'll bring in Spezza. We'll bring in Thornton. We'll bring in Simmons. Um, you know, the Campbell move to address the goaltending situation. I know the, the Leafs still underspent on goalies relative to some of the top teams. And that's kind of like an anti-analytic thing. Uh, but also like three weeks ago, people were talking about how Carey Price has one of the worst contracts in hockey. So, uh, let's maybe not, uh, go too far with the goalie stuff. Um, so I don't think this is like, I don't think they haven't thought of where their blind spots might be. Um, I'm personally of the mind, as we discussed in the DMs last night, that um, NHL hockey, NHL playoff hockey is maybe not as well suited to like high skill teams um, because there's less freedom of movement with the the increased physicality and, and all that. And I don't mean that to say like the Leafs got jobbed by the by the referees because this far into this core, you've got to have that figured out and yeah. you've got to, you've got to learn to play around that. That's and the concern is that your highly skilled players haven't figured it out. It's not that they're not skilled enough. It's like yeah. they're the wrong skilled players. Yeah. I mean, look, Matthews had five points in that series, but Marner was borderline invisible and had, you know, some, some yips of sorts carrying the puck. And, you know, there are reports out there, including from Ian Tullock in a piece today at Maple Leaf Hot Stove that, you know, there's been some resistance from Marner to play differently on the power play in a way that might optimize that Marner, Nylander, Matthews group. Um, all of this is to say, save us, Vlad. <laughs> 
Blake, you got to go. Uh, I know we didn't get to a bunch of questions. We always appreciate everybody's questions and everybody's support. Uh, Theathletic.com slash we the six, the number six, uh, where you'll continue to get draft content. We'll move into a bunch of free agency content. So those who didn't get the questions answered, we'll come back to your questions at different points with this podcast, but we'll also answer them in probably more coherent form while we're writing because it's easier to write than to speak, I think, Blake. I agree. And it's more enjoyable. (laughs) I do hate speaking. All right. I got to bounce. Thanks so much, everyone. And we'll talk to you sometime soon. Thanks, guys. See ya.